Colossians chapter 3 is where we are this morning. I'm just blessed, um, just man, just blessed by God this morning and um, believe he's got and doing some mighty things in our midst. Uh, the text this morning is, man, it's a fire hydrant that's going to smoke us this morning. And so I'm going to try to temper it a little bit and uh, help us along the way. So, um, but we're going to dive right in. Uh, Colossians 3, beginning at, uh, we'll start at verse 1. We're going to tackle 5 through 17 this morning. Uh, Colossians 3, here we go, verse 1. Here's what it says. Uh, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So Rick unpacked that text last week talking about really this is the heartbeat of all of the New Testament. Is this idea that our life as Christians is that we're hidden in Christ. That we're placed in Christ. Now... What in the world does that mean? And how how does that actually affect who we are and how we live? It goes on in verse 4 and says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Um, The fact that Christ is our life, how how does that then propel us to live? Uh, I think all of us would agree that you take an apple tree, and what do we expect to come from an apple tree? Apples, right? You, You take a a child, the child that Megan's um, working uh, to bring into this world um, is going to be an, an infant and then a toddler and then grow up into childhood and then adolescence and then become an adult. And as we all ass- uh, would plan for and know without a doubt that child's going to grow up and mature, right? So what about the Christian life? What does it look like for a Christian to surrender their life to Jesus, to be called into salvation, and for them to, for you and I to actually grow up and mature in the faith? Well, Paul's going to help us here um, by describing what initially, and I want to caution you, initially we're going to think that this passage is full of just behavior. But it, what it's full of is identity. So as we move forward, I want you to hear language of identity, not language of behavior. So here we go, verse 5. As we dive in, verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Okay, put, put to death. So Paul, like he does so brilliantly, um, he uses this very descriptive language. Okay, so putting anything to death is a pretty um, involved situation. It's, it's pretty intense. Put to death. And what he's doing is he's using the language of Jesus in, in the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Okay, that's, that, what is that talking about? It's, it's showing intense war towards the flesh towards sin. It's this idea of cutting off the supply of the flesh, of what's engaging our hearts to to give into the flesh. So put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. 
And then he goes into a list. But before he goes into the list, I think there's a perspective that I've talked about in the past, but I want to bring up again that's incredibly helpful in understanding what's going on here. Okay, we're saved. We talk about the power of sin has been destroyed, but yet you and I full well know that we live in a battle and in a struggle. And if the Christian life is all about repentance, well, why did Christ save us if we still struggle and wrestle? And, um, but the truth of the matter is, is that we live in between two points in salvation history. We live in the already, but not yet. The already is this idea that Jesus has brought salvation by Christ's death and resurrection. That he's, he's already given us a new nature. That he's already freed us from slavery to sin, Romans 6.6. 6. But Jesus has not yet, not yet arrived. He's not yet fully vanquished sin and Satan. He's not yet freed us from the presence and the consequences of sin. Do you ever experience that? Do you ever experience the consequence of sin? Maybe it's sin from your, your heritage. From years ago. That you're still experiencing the consequence of sin. And the presence of sin. We've not yet been freed from that. Jesus hasn't yet banished death. He hasn't yet wiped away every tear. He hasn't yet punished injustice. He hasn't yet established everlasting peace like he talks about him doing in Revelation chapter 21. He hasn't yet. He's already brought us salvation, but he has not yet taken us home. So we live in this in-between reality as Christians. Um, one author, I'm, I'm going to borrow a couple things from this book. Um, you've maybe heard of Joshua Harris from his uh, marvelous piece of work, um, I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Um, although he's since come back and, and rewritten some of that stuff and, um, and some of his own reactions to his own writing. Um, but this is a book called Dug Down Deep. Um, and he uses this illustration in this book. Um, he says, we're like prisoners of war who've been freed from captivity but are still behind enemy lines. In a real sense, we've been rescued. We're no longer locked up and at the mercy of the enemy. But at the same time, the war isn't over. We're waiting for our captain to return and completely vanquish the enemy. The fallen world, the devil, and our own wandering hearts put us at risk. Like never before, we have to be on our guard. So, so we live in this reality of like the war's been won, but yet we're still battling. We're still fighting. We're still becoming in practice who God sees us as. Um, so Paul goes into verse when he, he, he dives off into this list. And again, the thrust of the text is not behavioral, it's identity. So check it out. Therefore, put to death what is earthly in you, sexually immorality, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Okay, so a list of five. Paul's going to give us three lists in this whole text. And all three lists contain five things. This first list is the list of five sins that are, that are personal. So it's not even talking about sin against another. It's talking about personal sins that you commit in your own flesh. And they all are related to a sexual nature. Okay, um, the, the term sexual immorality is really this word, the Greek word is porneia, which we get what word from? You're like, can we say that word? Pornography? I'll say it. I'm mic'd and being recorded. So we'll go out to the world. Um, pornography. Okay, Paul says... These very things, sexual immorality, impurity, all of them have this sexual nature. And what we do is we take something, even that God intends as good, and we make it 
God. We make it the main thing and we, we use it in, outside of the context of what God's designed it to be. And Paul says, you've got to put it to death. And, and you and I have experienced situations, even with people, where, where sexual immorality, it will destroy if we're not fighting it. It absolutely will. It will destroy marriages. It will destroy relationships. It will destroy your family. That's why I believe every single Christian, I don't care if you're a guy or a girl, should have a means of accountability and a means of protection on your mobile devices, on your computers, that bring about a means of you having accountability to fight the things that are at war against us. huge because we've made these things our gods and they lure us and they invite us and Paul says put them to death we've got to put them to death why verse 6 on the count of these things the wrath of God is coming Paul in Ephesians 5 says this let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of god is coming upon the sons of disobedience let no one deceive you with empty words what's empty words oh it's it's not a big deal a little sexual immorality it's okay you can we justify it that's empty words it's the lies of the enemy that teach us to compromise that teach us you know that real intimacy in marriage is not really the point it's empty talk. It's only going to defeat us and only going to destroy us. And the truth of the matter is, is that what we don't like to talk about a lot is that the wrath of God is coming because of the evil nature and reality of sin. It's coming. Now, in Christ, we're free from the wrath of God. But that doesn't, that doesn't put us in a position to manipulate grace and use grace. But really what it's going to do more is it's going to raise the bar, and raise the standard for us as God's people to see sin as what it is and not dabble in it or be, you know, playing with it in such a way, but to actually take it seriously and do what Paul says to say, we've got to put this to death. Why? Why is so Paul harsh about putting it to death? Look at verse 7. In these things you too once walked when you were living in them. What can you tell me about the verb tense in verse 7? Any grammar scholars here? Or just someone with a mind that can... Past. You once walked. So... The scripture says that what the gospel does is it calls us out of our identity defined by sexual immorality, impurity, evil desires, covetousness, designed by this, it's all about me, and it places us into an identity that's defined by Christ and the holiness of his Father. It's past tense. We have this new identity. We once walked We've died to them. It's this past identity in the flesh. And then verse 8, he goes on to say, but now you must put them all away. You must, you must. It's this language of, of immediacy. It's this language of command. You must put them all away. And then he goes on to list five corporate sins. You must put them all away. 
Verse 8. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. These are all things that, that destroy us corporately. Okay? These are all things that, that we have to be on guard against. How we interact sins against one another. And we know what most of these things are, but I'll point out a couple. Slander. What's slander? We think slander is like this overt, like in your face, I'm going to just butcher you. But oftentimes slander, well, it's that. Slander is more negative thoughts towards someone. Or it's, it's belittling conversation about someone to someone else. Where we're not describing an individual in the identity of who they are in Jesus. But rather how we, we view them. And who they are in relationship with us and the fact that we don't really like them. What about obscene talk? Words that contaminate both speaker and hearer due to their foul association or abusive intent. Okay? But obscene talk even goes a step further in the fact that if our words aren't uplifting and edifying, Jesus says they're, they're obscene. What's the point of them? Paul says they're idle words. Okay, these are all how we interact. What does it look like for us to have an identity as the people of God and to put away anger towards one another, wrath towards one another, and all of the things that are listed here. And he goes on in verse 9 and says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and desires and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of his creator. Okay, so this idea of, of putting off, okay, it's, an, it's a word picture like taking off your clothes. Okay, and it goes back, if you look back at 2.15 when it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities, the word disarmed is the same word as put off. Okay? It's, it's literally removing the power that's present, disarming, making them vulnerable. But it's also a participle that means it's an action that's occurred in the past, once and for all. It has been put off. That's why the Bible says it's your old self. Okay, now, I want to help us a little bit um, and Joshua Harris, in his book, does something marvelous and somewhat comical where he cartoons this idea of what it looks like for us to feed our flesh. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's powerful. So, um, Ben, fire that up for me. Um, we have a tendency, as the people of God, to, to, feed, to, um, to feed our flesh. So why is it that, that we're so at war why is it that, wait, we've been set free from sin, yet, yet we struggle with sin so much? Um, go to the next image. Um, this is you. Sorry, ladies. He drew a guy, and he apologizes for that in his book. Um, it says you'll have to identify with that. Um, this is you, okay? And then this is your flesh. Okay, now, what I don't want you to see... Um, in this is, is that the war with the flesh is some outward reality. Okay, really, the war with the flesh is an inward battle. It's a spiritual battle. 
We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against the rulers, the principalities, the authorities. It's a, it's a spiritual battle. Okay, so this is the flesh. This is um, what's waging war against us. The, the desires of our heart. Go to the next image. Pre-Christ, this is how we relate to the flesh. We're in bondage to the flesh. When Christ comes, we're set free. Okay, this is what happens when we trust Jesus. Isn't that exactly how your salvation experience went? Woo! Look at the, look at the face on the flesh. It's like, darn it. He's got me. I told you it's, it's, rather, it's rather comical. But notice, the little man's got clothes on. It's a good thing, right? Okay, depicting a new identity. That we've been clothed in Jesus Christ and that we've been set free from the flesh, but there's a problem. Go to the next one. The flesh doesn't disappear. Okay, so we're, we're still in this, this battle where we have a new identity in Christ, but the flesh is still waging war because we haven't been fully set free from sin. Okay, from the presence and the consequences of sin. We haven't fully been set free yet. But it still remains. That's why the Bible calls us to fight our flesh. To fight our fleshly desires. To really wage war. It's what Paul, when he says, put it to death. But you and I have a tendency to befriend our flesh. We've been set free, but what do we do? We participate and we engage our flesh. We feed our flesh through poor choices, through behaviors, through justifying our sin and our sinfulness, through just calling ourselves human. We feed our flesh, and what happens? Our flesh grows. It grows. This is why even as a Christian that's maybe been walking with the Lord for years, that, be, that battles the flesh because we have a tendency to feed it. When temptation comes, we, we give in to it and we feed the flesh and so it becomes more overwhelming and more overwhelming. But the truth of the matter is that what Paul says we're supposed to do is starve it. Romans 13 14 says this, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. It's, it's, it's starving the flesh. It's when, the, when the flesh comes and wants to be fed, we, we, we say no, we fight against it, we literally starve it, we make no provision for it. Okay, this is the battle that we're in. And what's amazing is what Paul's about to show us is the answer to the identity we have in the flesh is exactly what's here in this room. Is the community of the people of God engaging and working together to bring about the starvation of the flesh in our lives. So let's keep reading. How do we do this? Look at verse look at verse 10. And have put on the new self, with it, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. 
here there is not Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and he goes on to this list, but I want to stop for a second because notice what Paul says is he says that we've been saved into a community that distinction's been destroyed. Okay, so this, um, these class systems, these people groups, um, Jew, Gentile, Paul's describing these different people groups that we tend to elevate or tell, like, well, if, you know, if you're over here, then you've arrived and you're more godly. And, you know, it's like saying God's a St. Louis Cardinal. Okay, like Paul says that in Christ, we have an incredibly diverse group of people who all are invited to come to the table and feast on Christ. All are invited. It's a community of faith. And Paul says, as that community of faith, we're to put on this new identity that he's going to describe now for us. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Okay, so here's a list of five things, and all of them carry, a, carry with them this humble reality, this humble demeanor that call us into relationship with one another, where we live in humble interaction with one another. As we seek to walk out, okay, what does it look like for me to, to humble myself and, and walk in compassion towards one another and live in humility towards one another? And, and notice what the next verse says. This kind of steps on your toes a little bit. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. Um, so we just, uh, this weekend was, a, was our family camping trip. And uh, it was It was interesting. Because midway through it, Danielle had to leave to go be with Megan in the hospital. Um, Friday night, it poured down rain. Um, everything in my tent got wet. Had two inches of water in my tent. Um, my, Tobin has rolled over in a puddle and his jammies are all wet. So we had to take him out about one and put him in, in the trailer. Um, and then the air mattress deflated. And um, so at one o'clock, I fire up the uh, the filler. Somebody help me. The pump. Thank you. Um, so I fire that up and like there's people sleeping all around me, but it's like, Wee! I'm like, I don't care. Like I'm sleeping on the ground. There's rocks under my tent. I'm, I'm soaking wet. Every one of our bags wet. My pillow is wet. It's dripping on me from the ceiling. And not only that, but I couldn't watch the Cardinal game because we couldn't get to work and I'm getting texts and I'm like, it's like the greatest game ever. Um, and so like, so every year we do this and probably one of the most crazy dynamics of the whole situation is that like, it's like all Danielle's family. So all the cousins are there, all the brothers are there, and it's like this beautiful mess, okay? Um, and literally, like, you don't know if, uh, you know, the kids are going to get along one moment or not, and so they're like, you know, there's times when, like, Mikhail and her cousin are just like, she won't play with me, and I want to play with her, and, and uh, it's just like, you got to bear with one another, <laughs> I mean, especially when you're at a campsite and, like, you know, you're cooped up in a tent and everyone's wet and, like, you, you know, so 
Paul uses this language, bear with one another. What does that mean? It means put up with it, put, put up with others. Okay, so who is it in your life or in this church or in the Christian faith or in your neighborhood or in your household that you have a hard time with, that you struggle with, you, you don't like? The command for us as God's people is to, to put up with them. To tolerate them. These married couples are like kind of glaring at each other. Okay, but, but that's not just this like, okay, like you just, you know, live here. I'm just going to put up. No, but what it's talking about is how the verse defines it in a sense of what? Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgive them. Forgive them. Because this doesn't mean like, if they come to me and ask me to forgive them, then I will seriously pray about it. No. Bear with one another. And if one has a complaint, forgive them. It's like the unmerciful servant that Jesus depicts in the parable of the servant who's freely set free by the master all your debt's been paid. Servant comes along. What happens? He's like, what, you owe me this? Go to jail. He's been forgiven much, but yet the opportunity comes for him to forgive. Nope, not happening. You check it out, Matthew 18. How presumptuous of us to, to refuse to forgive someone that's been forgiven by the God of heaven. This is, this is what's to define the community of faith that enables us to starve the flesh that wants to breed upon disunity in the body of Christ. This is what, this is what um, enables impurity to grow within us. This is what enables dissension to grow within us when we fail to see the forgiveness of Jesus Christ on our own lives and give that away. Give that away. We forgive because Jesus forgave us. And what's interesting is what complicates our ability to walk in maturity is belittling sin. Do you know how this works? It's like, oh, you know, I sinned against you. It's not a big deal. Or like, I'm sorry, but. And then you, you kind of give your case. Do you know what I'm talking about? And we even try to walk in repentance, but it's like, well, I'm sorry that made you feel that way. Oh, so let's put it on them. Instead of owning the reality that we sin. And calling it sin. Danielle and I are incredibly intentional with our kids, even to the point where other people have confronted us on it and said, why do you make your kids do this? When our kids sin against each other, they have to use specific language to walk up to one another, look each other in the eye and say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I sinned against you. Here's what I did. We make them say it. I'm sorry. Sorry for what? What did you do? I want them to know why they're having this conversation. And I want them to use language of repentance and own their sin. Well, Tobin did this. Well, okay, I don't care. What did you do? What acts did you do to sin against them? That's what Christ is calling us to with one another. 
This is what enables us to, to put, put to death the flesh. Keep going. Verse 14, and above all else, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So it's incredible. It's like this idea of love rises to the top. It's like Jesus is saying, like, I don't care who they are or who you think you are. The call for you is to love. To love the people that are sitting next to you. To love the people you can't stand. Why? Because that's our identity. That's how God's loved us. That's what it means to be a community of faith that's rooted in a gospel of grace. Is that we love. And the way we love is we walk together in truth. We walk together in confronting sin and not belittling sin. And it's the very thing that that Paul says actually binds the church together. It's where her strength is. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. This idea of rule is literally like a judge in your heart. It sets the final authority. It says, let the peace of Christ. Let me ask you this. How often are you governed by fear? How often are your decisions in your day guided by Doubt or anger, malice, wrath. Paul says that we're to be guided by the peace of Christ. That's to rule. It's the arbitrator in our hearts. That's what characterizes the community of faith, the church. teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. Do do you see your responsibility as a Christian to help equip other Christians? You say, well, I don't know much about Jesus. It's not true. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you know a ton about him. I don't have the words to say. That's not true. You've been bought with a price. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. You have an opportunity and the authority from the Lord help to equip and encourage the people sitting next to you. To admonish them, to challenge their view of Jesus. Teaching and admonishing one another. And I, I love it. With, with, with all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Gathering together to, to stir up the affection of Jesus Christ in one another's heart and in one another's life. Just like we do here. 
just like you guys do at times in your homes and in your groups and gathering together in people's homes and having our affection stirred for the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. It's it's unreal because Paul's like, go ahead and thank him in advance for the healing work that he's going to do in your life. Like, go ahead. Go ahead and thank him. It's like, how can I give thanks in this situation? Because we know the story. Do you you get that? Like, we, we know the creator God who in the midst of whatever circumstances, whatever events that go on in our lives, we know how it ends. We know the battle's been won. Does that mean we don't engage in the battle? You think Megan's just chilling at the hospital? Like, well, we know the battle's been won, so... You know, she's fully engaged. Not that she really has a choice, right? But she's fully engaged in the battle of being the woman of God that has called her to be. Giving thanks. And whatever you do in word or deed, I don't care what you say or what you do as my people. Man, why are you doing it? Are you doing it simply to put something to death? Are you doing it simply to destroy sin? For your own sake, for your own comfort? Or are we doing it, man, for him? For him. Megan battles through labor because she has the chance to have a child that she can raise up to know and love Jesus. Jesus. And be a minister of reconciliation for Jesus. And be a man of God. Not some pushover guy. But someone who truly wants to do what Jesus has called him to do. That's why they battle. That's why we battle. Whatever you do in word or deed, you don't do it for yourself. Don't do it for the name of North Church. Maybe we get some more people in the door. Maybe we get some more salvations. Maybe we can. We do it for the name of Jesus Christ. Not for us, not for me, not for your family, for him. And what's amazing is that when we do it for him, so often it boils over onto us. We reap the benefits. We experience the love and grace of Jesus because he's invited us to play. He's invited us into the story of grace giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you have made a way for us to know you. I thank you for salvation. I thank you for this church. Thank you for your global church. That we're a part of a family. 
not just here in this room, but a family that's all over the world who's been purchased by the blood of your Son. And God, I'm well aware that every one of us has things that are weighing on us, that are weighty in our hearts right now. That we're in the battle, the battle against the flesh. So often we feed the flesh. And God, I pray that you, through the words of someone else here in this room, would enable us to be set free would enable us to to find the means to starve the flesh, would enable us to press forward in the battle, to steward your grace in our own hearts and in the lives of those around us and out to those that don't know you. God, would you move in our midst? Would you take what we're doing here this morning? Would you stir our affections for you? Would you move us on towards maturity? To be a people, to be a church that eagerly longs for more of you. Not just sit in some seats and be nominal Christians. But that our hearts this morning would be stirred with affection. That we'd be sent out to be the people of God. To be a community. that would bring about change in each other's lives and in the lives of those in our community. Would you receive the glory? We pray in Christ's name, amen.